the kingdom generosity that you have here at Daybreak and at Renfrew is something that's talked about in the ABA quite often. So let's do a little bit of review. We're in this series on one another's. Let's do a little bit of review. Three weeks ago, Pastor Robin, the site pastor at Renfrew, said this, that we need to understand how to love each other. He said the best definition of this is in 1 John 4, 7 through 9, which reads, Beloved, my friends, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God, knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into this world so that we might live through him. Jesus, when we look at Jesus, he is love in the flesh. He defined for us what love means as we work to follow him. It has to compel us to love one another. Okay, then a couple weeks ago, I talked about bearing with one another. Thank God you weren't at Renfrew Baptist Church because if you were at Renfrew that Sunday, I wore an Oilers jersey to make them bear with me. That's for you, Cody. (laughs) Man, a lot of wins for our team. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, we said this, Therefore, and anytime there's the word therefore, it's therefore a reason... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself every morning, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then verse 13, bear with each other. And in that bearing with one another, forgive each other in any, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues or values, put on love, which binds them, puts them all together in perfect unity. Bearing with one another demands that forgiveness always emerges as a response out of it. When we love and function the way that God has wanted us to function, we actually start to bear the image of God. When people look at us, they go, man, there's somebody that's been with Jesus. Last week, Pastor Glenn shared about encouragement and the word. What was the word you used, Pastor Glenn? Para. There we go. Glenn's multi-languaged here. Paracolo means this, that we carry the idea of support. We have confidence. We have hope. We also exhort. We urge. We strengthen. We appeal. Real encouragement has authority over all of us. It deserves nothing less than to set what the tone is here at daybreak. We want to, at daybreak, be a church that encourages. In our homes, we want to be people that encourage. In our ministries, we want to encourage. And so today, it's natural for us just to start to look at what does it mean to serve one another? Yes, you and I can have a culture of serving. We can serve at the mustard seed. We can volunteer in children's ministry or worship ministries, but it's so much more. Oswald Sanders says this, and you'll see this quote on the screen. True greatness, true leadership, 
is achieved not by reducing men to one service, but in giving oneself in selfless service to them. One of the things that Jesus commanded his disciples was to serve one another. Jesus gave us an example of service and reminds us that we are not greater than our master. This is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Paul begins Galatians 5, and we're going to spend some time looking at Galatians 5. So if you want to flip there in your Bibles, you can go to Galatians 5. Let me give you a little background, just because we're going to look in at verse 13 through 15, but like the earlier verses talk about circumcision, so we're actually going to talk about that in church. Okay, so here we go. Galatians 5 started with Paul going, we are free. We are free from the old way of operating. Those in Christ must stand firm against anyone who would try to drag them into slavery, which is the law. Today, you and I might use the word, that's legalism. Paul is is starting to challenge people, if you looked at Galatians 5, and pushing people to move away from that old way of thinking. A big indicator of being associated with God's people or of being a child of God was circumcision. So Paul's talking in Galatians 5 about circumcision. A group of Judaizers were pressuring the Galatians, the people of Galatia, to submit to physical circumcision in order to be acceptable to God. Some of the Galatians probably myself included, would look and go, somebody's telling us a rule. We must do it. I must cover all my possible needs. Why not believe in Jesus and be circumcised, they might have thought. Some of you can remember in the past how in church we would say, all you need to do is love God, but then we'd slowly add a few things to it. Well, how about church attendance? Or... How about what you wore to church? Or what did you drink in your home? Or what did you not drink in your home? Or even what ministries you got involved in? Here Paul's looking going that faith in Christ must be faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone, nothing else. In fact, he writes that to begin to follow the law or rules cuts us off from Christ. Because we're asking God to judge us by our own works and not by Christ's work on the cross, his death. So Paul is confident that the Galatians will reject this false teaching and that the one responsible responsible for teaching it will be held accountable. We need to reject a rumor that he himself was teaching all this about being circumcised. If Paul was teaching about circumcision... Why would they be persecuting him? In fact, he writes that he wishes the false teachers, and you can read this later this afternoon and get a little chuckle from it. Paul says that he wishes the false teachers would go past circumcision to castration. Things you never thought you'd hear in church. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Will I achieve salvation? Will I be justified by Christ, which makes serving others done out of feelings of shame, guilt, and obligation? See, the Old Testament way was this. You earn salvation through the law, through what you did right, versus 
Christ's death in the New Testament was all about the cross. Salvation was given to us. That's grace. Now, if you don't believe me, to earn is embedded in our DNA. It's who we are. When you were a kid, you earned awards, ribbons, stars. We earn marks. We have sports achievements. We have trophies. As we get older, we work to earn money. We work harder to achieve promotions, to earn more money. We work to be approved and liked by others. See, the law-based salvation, the Old Testament, breeds judgment and an aim always towards perfection. We all know it's unachievable. But grace, on the other hand, is weird. It's awkward. It's hard to hand out because people don't earn it. And therefore, they don't deserve it. Yet all of us in this room know we need grace because we're not perfect. And when we serve others, it actually teaches us about grace and love and acceptance. And it teaches us about those same things with people. With Christ, and because of Christ's death on the cross, we begin as one who's already approved, loved, forgiven, worthy, made right with God. We call this righteousness. Your righteousness is actually handed to you, given to you. You've been justified and forgiven. You've been made worthy. Now that you are overwhelmed by the love of God through Jesus, Paul is saying, get out there and serve one another. Paul then turns his focus to another way Christians might waste the freedom God has won for us. Some of us might think that since we've already been forgiven from our sins and justified by faith in Christ, what would keep us from indulging in our sinful desires? Paul goes, that's not what Christ's death was for. Instead, we should use our freedom to serve one another in love. So how can we overcome our sinful desires and focus on serving one another? We only can do this through God's Spirit given to us when we trusted in Christ for our salvation, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is powerful. It gives believers the supernatural ability to love as Jesus loved. Now the battle for us as Christ followers is to allow the Spirit to lead instead of shutting him down. Our own way always shuts him down. It leads to sin and destruction. Paul, later on in Galatians 5, provides this list of sinful desires. You can look at it. But then Paul offers the second list. It's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So how can we do this? How can we actually serve one another? Well, if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 5. You got the overview of Galatians 5. Now let's zero in on 13 through 15. Here's what Paul says. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Remember that the message of the letter to the Galatians is that they've been set free from the law of Moses, which is the law of sin and death. Notice, in those few verses, the purpose God has given to us in our freedom. Our freedom is to serve one another. Christ's death on the cross 
is not just for eternal life for us. It's so that we can actually serve one another. We are not called in Christ to self-indulgence, but to become servants of one another. Just like Jesus talked about in John 13, it'll be on the screen. Verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that's right, for this is what I am. But now as your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I've done to you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. You'll be successful. You'll have life to the full if you do them. See, this picture that Paul gives us is like a paradox. You've been set free. You have freedom. But I want you to use your freedom to be servants of each other. To see the paradox even more, the word for serve is literally to serve as a slave. Now let me show you a little difference here in the different translations that I'll highlight on the screen. In verse 13 of Galatians 5, in the New Living Translation, it says this, For you have been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In the message, it says this, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy, wreck your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. That's how it gets bigger. New American Standard says this, for you, we're called to freedom, brothers. Only don't, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul is encouraging the Galatian church that you are free to be slaves. You are to become slaves, but it's not the slavery that you had before. You were enslaved to sin. You were stuck in sin. You were lost, doomed. You were separated from God and under his wrath. Paul had warned these Christians to not become enslaved in the law of Moses again. Because the law doesn't give life. That was only in place until Christ came, but becoming slaves of each other is a voluntary choice. But in that voluntary choice, it's always found with deep joy. Now I want you to notice the mechanism that's in place for serving one another. Jesus, in that passage we read about washing feet, Jesus did not say, go and serve. So then we go and we offer some service where we're like, I don't really want to do this, but I got to do it. It's not a service where we have to. Serving others always arises. It bubbles up from our love from God, which always brings about love for each other. Just serving is not what God is looking for. God wants us to desire to serve each other because he has served us. If you don't believe me, Paul gave this jarring statement to the Corinthian church that sheds light on this idea. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give everything I possess to the poor, 
And I give over my body to the hardship that I may boast. But I'm missing love. I gain nothing. Or all of that's useless. Notice that these acts are nothing without love. This is often what we are missing when we look at the commands in Scripture on how to treat each other. True love always overflows into serving one another. When I'm truly struck by God's love, then I'll be motivated to love others and therefore serve others. This is the model that Paul gave to the Philippian church as well. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who... Being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Notice again that it's not just a command to be a servant but to look at Jesus who acted as a servant on our behalf and for our good. Consider how Paul is not done with this picture. He does not merely tell us to serve one another in love with our freedom. Paul wants to underline this deeply in our hearts. Authentic Christians, I would say the Christians here at daybreak, do more than just speak about love. They model love through serving others. Let us consider the picture that's given to us. This is not a command to love ourselves or that self-love means having good self-esteem. Paul assumes that people do love themselves already and seek their own self-interest. That is not the problem. Paul then wrote to the church in Ephesus with the same theme and said this in Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their body, but they feed and care for their body just as God cares or Christ cares for the church. The command here is to take your natural, already existing love of self and make it as a measuring tape for the love of others. Imagine what it would look like if we had the same zeal for the good of others and acted on it like we do for ourselves, labor would actually look like you would love yourself. Do for them what you would do for yourself. Martin Luther King eloquently expresses this statement of service. Martin Luther King said this, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Serving one another is how we love one another. If we don't become slaves to each other in this room, then we're not really loving each other. This is the picture Paul's trying to, trying to get together for us to see. See, love gives. Love sacrifices. Love serves. Love forfeits. Love yields. I cannot say I love you and show no regard or consideration for you. Love does not look at self, but looks at others. You see, we become willingly servants of each other. How easy it it is for us to destroy this beautiful picture in our family, in our church, in our marriages. In marriages, we don't think that the other is doing for us what we want them to do for us. 
So we complain, we argue, we fight, because that person's not thinking about me. Yet in this process, we're only destroying love because we are not showing love to our spouse. I'm thinking of myself, not thinking about you. We destroy families in the same way because we think about ourselves and not what is in the best interest of other family members. We do this in the church. We pander for people to pay attention to us by doing so we are not showing love for others, but for ourselves. I hope you can see how easy it is to destroy love when we use our freedom for selfish thoughts and acts rather than serving one another. See, this is where Paul goes exactly in that Galatians 5 verse 15. We're not serving each other, we're destroying each other. When we stop expressing love through our actions for each other, then harmony and unity is lost and we start to devour each other. Selfish thinking destroys love and is the opposite of serving, which promotes love. Serving one another is to prevent biting and devouring each other's. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your sinful desires that battle within you? Fights come because we stop serving each other. Disagreements in church happen because we stop serving each other. Fights in marriage come because we stop serving each other. Fights in families come because we stop serving each other. Jesus told a great story in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 20, he said this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeled down. Can you see this? They're kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Jesus says, what do you want? She said, grant that one of my two sons may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Jesus looks at the mom and goes, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. When the ten others heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. If you hear any words today, take those four words out. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did the sons of Zebedee ask for these positions of authority? Because they were thinking about themselves. Why were the other ten disciples indignant when they heard about this? Because they were thinking about themselves. But listen to Jesus and what it looks like to be in his kingdom. Whoever's great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Serve. You want to be with Jesus in his kingdom? Then be a slave to others. Why? Because this is what Jesus did. 
He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life. We are to give our lives to each other and serve each other. Can you imagine what it would look like if we had the same zeal for the good of others and acted on it like we do for ourselves? Love your neighbor would actually look like loving your neighbor. Let our words and actions reflect this love. Now seriously, you were created to make someone else's life better. Someone needs what you have. Someone needs your smile. They need your love. They need your encouragement. They need your gifts. And when you serve one another, you'll actually feel a satisfaction that money cannot buy. There'll be a joy, a peace. There'll be humility. The more humility you walk in, the more you serve others, the more God can use you. Paul did not see us serving one another as some duty that was driven by guilt, fear, or manipulation. To the contrary, what Paul kept talking about is this beautiful freedom that was heroically purchased by us in Christ that drives the gospel of serving one another. The gospel teaches us that we're no longer slaves to sin, that sin and guilt have been defeated by Christ. We're free, but what are we free from? This is Paul's point. We're free. Not to use our freedom to serve our old fleshly master that harshly enslaved us. That would be returning to bondage. Instead, we are free to love one another and serve one another who saved for the one who saved us. The Christian's freedom is vividly expressed when, our, when we use our freedom in Christ to serve one another. When we serve one another, we embody what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We participate in Christ's display of his love toward the church. We demonstrate that we don't belong to the world. We're not enslaved by our selfish uh, passions. We testify to those that there is true freedom in Christ. Friends, the church is a theater of redemption. It's a theater of service. It's a theater of love as it lives out the gospel before a world that is enslaved by sin, enslaved by selfishness and unbelief. Uh, one of the things we're going to keep wrestling with with Robin, Pastor Robin and Pastor Glenn is, okay, what does this actually mean for us? And a statement that we're starting to use is to be the hands and feet of Jesus serving in the church family and in our communities. Because serve equals love in action. Serve equals being the hands and feet of Jesus. Serve equals stories of people in our church loving one another. Serve equals personal stories of loving neighbors as an expression of God's love. Serve equals the reality of Christ becoming counterculture, cultural. Let's serve together. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. God, thank you for the call that you've placed on our lives to serve one another. You are a great God. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.